and welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Folkman. He is the front man for some of the biggest hits of the 80s. I'm talking about Jack Hughes, lead singer of Wang Chung, whose hits include Dance Hall Days and Everybody Have Fun Tonight. We talk about the origin of the name and what it could mean, and I also try to get out of Jack the meaning of Everybody Wang Chung Tonight. Jack also tells me which pop culture take on the song is his favorite. The band did the music for the movie To Live and Die in LA. We talk about how he got involved in that movie. And we talk about his latest project, Jack Hughes and the Quartet. I also want to thank Martin Page, a former guest of mine, for arranging this interview for me. Here's my conversation with Jack.
And helping me relive my youth today is Jack Hughes. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. Real pleasure, no? Yeah. So, yeah. growing up, what, what were some of your like musical influences? Uh, the Beatles. The Beatles. And the Beatles. And the Beatles. Well, <laughs> musical. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, you know, growing up in the UK, um, I grew up in a town called Gillingham, which is just outside of London, like about 60 miles from London. It's a bit like growing up in New Jersey, I suppose, if you oh, sort of... Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, close enough to London to... Uh, not really have anything going on, but far enough away to right. <laughs> not have anything going on. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, but yeah, so the Beatles were like this kind of uh, blast of, like from another planet, really. You know, um, but uh, my dad is is a musician. He's he's just he's going to be ninety this year. So oh wow! He was a saxophone player up until well, he still is a saxophone player. Really. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't do it so much anymore. But uh, yeah, and um, I saw the Beatles, and I was like. I want a guitar, I want to, you know, and he was like, okay, we'll get you a guitar, which was really enlightened of him, actually, because, you know, a lot of parents who are musicians might think, mm, this is a bit of a fad, you know, like right. learn the violin or the piano or something sensible, you know, uh, but my parents bought me a guitar, um, but the deal was that I had to have proper lessons, okay. you know, so uh, <clears throat> I used to go to this old lady, I mean, I thought she was an old lady, maybe she was in her 40s, but, <laughs> And uh, and she taught guitar in, in this little town that I grew up in, you know. So <clears throat> so she taught me sort of uh, to read music and um, to play just like a sort of folk style with a bit of classical. She didn't really teach me much technique and stuff, you know. But it did mean that by the time I got to the end of my teens and was thinking about university, um, you know, I wanted to do music and I knew enough theory, as it were, to be able to get into a, a university degree. So uh, that sort of took me into this part of my life, which is, you know, with classical music and the more theoretical side of music. And so that was amazing, you know. But up until I was 18, I really knew nothing about classical music. You know, right. guitar for me was just a, a way of being the Beatles, really, do you know what I mean? You know, and uh, so, yeah, the Beatles. And then I guess after the Beatles, the Cream were a big okay. influence on me, Jack Bruce especially. Right. Um, and then after that, I guess the sort of prog bands, like Genesis and yes, yes yeah. King Crimson and all that kind of stuff you know yeah. uh, Led Zeppelin were a big thing for me um, who I think of as a prog band and uh, and I guess also American well David Bowie as well was a, right. was a big thing from Ziggy Stardust onwards you know so as a sort of performer and as a songwriter he was a huge influence you know? yeah I mean it also helps like you mentioned how your father musical background and saxophone player influence you and supports you to be a musician because you're going to do it anyway you might as well so support your you know children absolutely yeah i mean i the you know now that he's that much older and uh well i'm that much older as well you know i really appreciate uh, what it takes when you've got children you know to sort of take them to their music lesson every week and he used to take me to band rehearsals you know like when i was 12 i was in a band at school doing and uh so it's all I've ever done, really, you know, but my parents always really supported me in that and uh, were never judgmental about it, you know, and, uh, you know, they, they were great. My son plays the saxophone in, you know, in junior high school. Eh, sure. not, not great, but, you know, it's, it's he, he plays it. Uh, my wife... He, my, he plays it. Exactly. He plays yeah. it, yeah. My wife just got me a guitar for my birthday, so I guess you're never too old to start learning to play. Always wanted Absolutely. to yeah, you know, yeah. pick up and my, play. There's nothing like learning to play to give you insight into how great the people who are great are. Do you know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah. you know, it's amazing. You know? And music, I think, you know, I don't know how it is in the States these days, but music is, uh, in education, is off the curriculum. It's not really kind of encouraged in schools anymore. Which I think is a real disaster, actually, you know, for the way 
kids develop, you know, a, a full life and a full relationship with, uh, you know, what, what living is all about sort of thing, you know. And, um, you know, music, I think, is a way or into or out of <laughs> a lot of things, actually, you know. And uh, certainly, you know, the Beatles, for me, showed me a completely different way of living from the way that I lived with my parents in, in this in Gillingham, do you know what I mean? It was right. like you don't have to live like this; you could live yeah. like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, and that was massive for me. You know? Yeah, the uh, luckily where where I live in Connecticut, you know, the arts are still in the schools, and they right. they, they haven't taken them away yet, thankfully. You know, because right. you want both my children to experience a well-rounded education, and you know, arts yeah. and music is definitely yeah. part of it. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. So then, yeah. Um, you know, flash forward a little bit. Um, how did yeah. you uh, you and Nick Feldman meet? Uh, well, it's an oft-told story about me answering uh, an ad in the Melody Maker, which okay. was uh, in those days there were music papers. I guess it would be like answering an ad online now. You know? mm. And uh, he was looking for a guitar player, and, uh, and I showed up at this rehearsal place, and um, Nick was there, and he had this drummer, a guy called Paul Hammond, who used to be drummer in Atomic Rooster. Okay, amazing, amazing drummer, you know. And uh, they were in the room, and um, I think um, was Nick. I think Nick was playing guitar. Maybe there was a bass player there as well. And uh, he had these various tunes that he was working on. And um, I, you know, I really loved what he was writing because I guess when I met Nick in 1978, punk was the big thing in London, you know. And, um, you know, punk was, um, you know, in some ways pretty reductive in terms of like three chords or, you know, three chords if you were lucky sometimes, you know. Um, <clears throat> but Nick was writing these songs with, like, sort of major ninth chords in them and all these slightly jazzy harmonies because he was a big Frank Zappa freak, you know. <laughs> and because uh, I knew all, all about that stuff, I had no problem with him, you know, sort of saying it, well, it's sort of this kind of thing, do you know what I mean? So, and I think he was quite surprised that it was a natural language, this slightly jazz-inflected language, you know. And, uh, and we really hit it off. And so Nick and I sort of, we I, I joined his band and we were, did that band for maybe six or seven months and then it sort of fell apart in the nature yeah. of these things you know you sort of like rehearse up some songs do some demos yeah. uh record company in those days you send the demos you know tape off to record company they they go oh, interesting come down and right. see you live thing there yeah. <laughs> and uh and once that had happened you know you were kind of like back to the drawing board really you know? so we did that a couple of times with a couple of different bands and eventually um uh, it was just sort of Nick and I left, really, do you know I mean? Yeah. And Darren, our drummer. Right. And um, we did some demos. Uh, and uh, this guy, uh, who was a friend of a manager that we had at the time, was really into them. So he released them on a little independent label that he sort of created around those tracks. So that was a song called Isn't It About Time We Were On TV. Yeah. And uh, we got a bit of radio play in the UK. And that generated enough interest to get us a deal with Arista Records. Mm -hmm. And from there, we were sort of Wang Chung and... Um, yeah. Well, actually, we were Huang Chun, right. H U A G, C H U N G, and um, <clears throat> yeah, but it all sort of like took off from there. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the, the name change. What 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 brought that about? Being Huang well, to Wang. <laughs> it's a crazy name in the first place, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and we did this album for Arista, which was a self-titled album, so Huang Chun, and we were using the Chinese characters, you know, for the name as well. And, uh, right. <laughs> It kind of looked cool, you know. I was talking to somebody yesterday about the fact that around that time, you know, there was a band called Japan. Yes. There was Susie the Banshees were doing these kind of quite oriental things. Right. A bunch of bands were flirting around with oriental influences. So it wasn't so out of the blue, you know. But I found this name, Wang Chung, <clears throat> in a book on Schlockhausen. 
Stockhausen's an electronic composer from Germany, like an avant-garde composer, who I studied a lot when I was at university, was a huge fan. And he talks about Huang Chung in this interview that he did, which is, uh, uh, when I saw it written down, I, I genuinely thought, the first time I saw it, it was like, yeah, that's like a guitar sound, you know, Huang Chung, you know, right, you know, yeah. which made me smile. But then I read what it actually meant in Chinese, and in Chinese it means yellow bell. Okay. And the yellow bell is this bell that rings at the center of the universe and creates a vibration, well, creates lots of vibrations. <clears throat> but our reality is one of those vibrations. And the job of music is to harmonize with that vibration, you know. So I sort of said all this to Nick, and he was like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, let's just be Wang Chung then. <laughs> right. And, uh, which was cool, you know. But um, I guess after we'd done that album, you know, we realized that the name, you know, sort of alienated people, really, do you know what I mean? Because nobody knew how to say it, and yeah. it was like, you know, who are these guys? And, uh, <laughs> so we thought maybe we should change it, you know. But around that time, we changed labels. We signed with Geffen Records in, in Los Angeles. And um, we did have a you know, conversation with David Geffen about it. And he was like, don't change the name because it's, it's, it's a great name. But change how you spell it so that people just say Wang Chung. If that's how you say it, spell it like that. So we changed the spelling. And uh, so now, you know, though in terms of what it means, well, you know, it's morphed over the years. And, and I quite like that it's kind of essentially meaningless or whatever you want it to mean. You know? right. uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll get to the, you know the verb Wang Chung <laughs> later, but um, you know what points on the curve came out. Um, Dance all days, huge hit in the U.S. Um, yeah. Was it an easy song to write? Take a baby by the hand, and make it do a high and take your baby by the hill. We were so in place And I dance all days We were cool on craze When I, you, and everyone we knew Could believe, do, and share in what was true I said Take your baby by the hand And pull her close and there, there, there Take your baby by the ears And play upon her darkest fears We were so in place In a dance all days We were cool on craze When I, you, and everyone we knew Could believe, do, and share what was true I said Dance all days, love Dance all days Take your baby by the wrist And in her mouth an amethyst And in her rest to sapphire's blue And you need her and she needs you And you need her and she needs you 
stuff like I used to teach guitar in local schools in London, South London where I lived and um, I remember one uh, afternoon this kid sort of didn't show up for their lesson so I was just sort of like noodling around and I came up with those three chords you know and uh, this title Dance for Days just sort of stuck with those chords for some reason and take your baby by the hand and it all sort of, you know, you just get these flittery ideas you know and I remember sort of thinking, oh, that's kind of cool and, and they're sort of working on it a bit and I played it to Nick you know, basically it came together very quickly. It's like sort of probably 20 minutes. Right. And I sort of got the essential outlines of it. You then chip away at it for a month, sort of getting the lyrics right and some other kind of more uh, developments in the harmony and stuff. But uh, but it was always a song that um, people heard it and were like, wow, this is great. Do you know what I mean? And I realised that all the conversations that we were having were suddenly kind of slightly... Well, people that didn't want to talk to us now did want to well, talk to us, do you know what I mean? And uh, we got taken out to dinner by the publishers and stuff like that, do you know what I mean? So I thought, hmm, maybe this song has got something. Yeah. Do you remember where you were the first time you heard it on the radio? Um, I don't, no, sadly. No, okay. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That would be a nice memory if I had it. But, yeah, right. You can make it up. I would have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I, what I do remember, actually, is in the UK there was this show called Tom the Pops, right. uh, which was a, you know, um, yeah, a really great show. It was a BBC show, you know, so it was in everybody's homes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you would get the chart hits of the day, you know, which were usually pretty ghastly, you know, just like they are now. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> and then you get, like... David Bowie, yeah. do you know what I mean, and seeing something amazing and look like he looked in those days, yeah. do you know what I mean, like completely out of this world, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and um, so was, yeah, we, with Dance for Days, we did Top of the Top, Top of the Pops twice, you know. And I remember that being a real moment, do you know what I mean, because we were sort of doing this show that I'd watched since I was a kid right. and, and now we're on it. Um, what I particularly remember actually was um, the, the second show we did, Tina Turner was okay. on the show singing um, I Can't Stand the Rain or something like yeah. that, you know. And uh, she sang it live, and I was just like blown away Wait. by her voice yeah. and her presence. And her. she was one of the first people I'd met who was like a real star, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You meet loads of musicians, and musicians right. are sweet guys and stuff, most of them, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but she was like something else, you know. And the way her voice was in the room and stuff, incredible. You know? Yeah, no, she's she totally, she's fabulous. I mean, uh, Definitely. Yeah, we we have, you know, American Bandstand, I guess it's similar to yeah. Top of the Pops here. Yeah. But a show, a show I really loved and getting off track is uh, Jules Holland show that they oh, yeah. 
they show you, and that show's amazing because you know they'll pan around the whole stage, and you'll see Paul McCartney, you'll see Peter yep. Gabriel, then you'll see yep. the Foo Fighters, then you'll see somebody else. It's like you're getting all these amazing artists in like in this stage, and like the crowd just like you know a little golf clap. It's like it's yep. amazing. It, it, it truly is. Really good, really good show, and everyone's playing live, and they do a pretty good sound. You know? Yeah, that was one of the things back in the day with Top of the Pops. The sound was always terrible, you know? so right. you sort of <laughs> really kind of took your career in your hands at that point you know what I mean so uh, but but we did you know we did find that you know it was, it was a lot of fun right did they ever give you the option to lip sync on that show or is it always live yeah. oh. there was a constant battle actually between the musicians union right. who wanted it to be live yeah and the artists who wanted everything to be just playing the record and lip syncing to it because it was the safest option you know? right. so at various times you had these different things you know so I think in those days we were uh, playing it was uh, the backing track was you know Mm-hmm. We were singing too, but I had to sing it live. Oh, I think yeah. that's how it was, which was always really nerve wracking, you know, because right. it meant the band they couldn't care less. Didn't they had to stand <laughs> there with their instruments kind of dancing around, but I'd actually got to <laughs> deliver. So, yeah, because yeah. yeah. I'm sure they want you guys wanted to lip sync it so it sounds just like the record to more, more records, well, correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you're want to sell to people, you right. know, so you do, you know, and, uh, and so many things can go wrong with live music, you know, but, <clears throat> but that's what's great about that Jules Holland show, you know, it's like they really have the technical side down, you know, so. Yeah, it's, it's fabulous, I can never miss the show. Uh, yeah. Then Mosaic came out, and probably yeah. the most, you know, uh, successful record in, in the States, and everyone, you know, everybody have fun tonight. Uh, that song, the video itself, I mean, I, I think in, in England they banned it, right, because it was causing seizures? <laughs> yeah. Because it's a sort of stroboscopic effect, arguably. Uh, yeah, they said that people with epilepsy might get triggered by watching it, you know, which is, I've never heard that anybody ever did. But, right, anyway, right. so they banned it, you know, so yeah, we're in the illustrious you know, group of artists who got banned by the BBC. Yeah, exactly. Just for all, for different reasons, not like, you know, sexual <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not because of anything very controversial. Right. Now, did uh, you guys enjoy making videos? Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, I think it sounds really ungrateful of me to be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> everybody had fun tonight. I, I did enjoy making that one. Um, and I thought the concept was good. And of all the videos we did, I think it's the, uh, the most interesting in a way. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm, you know, uh, I'm going to say, you know, I was always into the music, you know, the music, I, I would spend days and days and days trying right. to get the hi-hat part right on a record, you know what I mean, yeah. and, you know, endlessly, you know, we were like nine months in Abbey Road making uh, points on the curve, you know, if not longer, actually, and um, and Mosaic, similar, you know, took a year to make it, really, you know, uh, and I was fine with that, you know, videos were, were necessarily a more collaborative process, you know, so we tended to leave it, you know, we chose and were able to work with and fortunate enough mm-hmm. to work with the best directors and so I kind of left it up to them you know to come up with the ideas and then we just say yeah or mostly we said yes you know right. and uh, <clears throat> yeah so were they fun to make yeah they kind of were fun to make you know sometimes you got a nice suit out or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm sh- I know you've been asked this question a million times so it'll be the millionth and for uh, one time uh, Wang Chung being a verb everyone Wang Chung tonight what does it yeah. mean yeah. Uh, again, it was it was deliberately sort of ambiguous, and right. uh, you know, uh, for the millionth time, I'll manage to avoid answering that question. But, uh, <laughs> whatever you want it to mean, yes, you're probably right. right okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> was that also like an easy song to write? That was a more collaborative song, actually. You know, Dance All Days <clears throat> was a song I just sort of wrote 
and uh, and I think um, uh, yeah, there's uh, somebody sent me this article recently about audiation. Audiation is like where you can conceive of a piece of music in your head, and then you, you sort of hear it all, and then you kind of record it or you write it all down. And so, you know, certain musicians can do that. And this guy was sort of saying, like, oh, Jimi Hendrix could do that, you know. And I was thinking, like, no, he couldn't do that. He, you know, he was an amazing player, but what he could do was be totally spontaneous with right. situations. You know? But uh, I think, um, for me, writing songs, I, I do tend to conceive the whole thing, you know, the vocals, the backing track, the backing vocals, that synth sound, the guitar sounds, you know, I, I hear it all how it's going to be, do you know what I mean? And uh, <clears throat> so Dance All Days, yeah, was... You know, I knew how I wanted it to be. Mm. Everybody had fun tonight was a different thing because <clears throat> Nick and I used to meet together at Nick's house, or flat in those days, mm. and he would play me ideas that he'd come up with, you know, like little fragments and stuff. <clears throat> and most of the time I go like, nah. Mm. <laughs> it was a very frustrating process for him. <laughs> uh, but he came up with this idea one time, everybody have fun tonight. You know? and, and I was like, yeah. And he was like, really? You think that's a good idea? <clears throat> I was like, yeah. And I heard it as a very ironic kind of thing, do you know what I mean? Like, Everybody have fun tonight in this terrible world. Do you know what I mean? Are you really going to do that? You know? um, so um, we did this demo, and the song, you know, one of my all-time favourite songs is Hey Jude okay. by the Beatles. Yeah. You know, so very simple kind of hymn-like tune in a way, and then this really amazing outro with all these different things going off, and you know, the repetitive nature of that, but the way it keeps constantly varying in texture and so I sort of heard like the chorus of everybody at fun tonight to be like that you know? so if you do listen to the demo and it is out there to hear um, mm -hmm. sometimes it's called everybody at fun tonight the early years yeah, so I was ask you about that. yeah. yeah. <laughs>
that's the demo that we did. I remember doing that in Flat around Christmas, and uh, it was all kind of Christmassy and stuff. But uh, when we worked with a producer on that, Peter Wolf, he was kind of like, no, it shouldn't be like that. It should be faster. It should be everybody had fun tonight. It should be yeah. completely un- unambiguous. And I was like, really? No, I don't. Think, I don't do unambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but he sort of powered that through. And so everybody had fun tonight was more collaborative. Peter sort of worked on the drum track, especially in the feel of it. And uh, we sort of rewrote the song to a large extent, you know, kept the ingredients, but sort of rebalanced it all and made it the, uh, the hit record that it is. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, okay, th- that album took off. Um, you guys were huge. You guys, because I was, how old was I? I was about 10, 11 when that came out. Do you guys tour? Were there any, like, big, you know, like, tours? Yeah. Any, any memorable stories from behind those? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we did two big tours, actually. One was off of Dance All Days, uh, and we toured with the Cars. Oh, nice. uh, And um, so we were out with them playing these kind of like, you know, 80,000-seater yeah. stadiums because the Cars had, the name of their album escapes me, but it was the one with Drive. Drive, yeah. It was a massive hit. You know. So they would fill these stadiums, you know, and um, and they did a beautiful job of, you know, they had, I remember, two Sinclaviers on stage and stuff, doing yeah. the backing vocals and incredible sort of like, airbrushed, sleek kind of job that they did. But I do remember that they had this thing, because um, they were a pretty artsy sort of band, you know, and they had this thing that when they finished a song, they would turn their backs on the audience yeah. and just wait for the next song to load up on their machines right. and then turn around and do the next okay. song, you know. And you could see the audience get more and more discouraged by that. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, when we were, we were the support act, okay. so we go up first and we yeah. go, like, is it going to be here? And we play, you know, right. wait. And, you know, Dazzle Days and all these things, and the audience would go crazy. And that. because Dazzle Days was a pretty big hit uh, around that time, um, it wasn't like everyone was in the bar, right. um, you know, waiting for the main act to come on. They were pretty much, you know, it was pretty full. And, yeah. So we got a great response, you know. And then the cars would come on, the audience would be really worked up because of our opening set. Yeah. And they do their first song, and they're like, <laughs> but the cars would just not react. They wouldn't say thank you or anything. Wow. You know? And as the evening went on, the audience would just get kind of like, oh, this is just like listening to the record, really. You know? and, uh, and so there, there was this perception that, like, wow, you guys, Wang Chang was amazing. The cars were really boring, mm-hmm. I mean, which is not true at all, because the cars were delivering an amazing show. Yeah. But they, uh, for an American audience especially, this, this kind of uh, silence between mm-hmm. tracks just didn't go down well. Yeah, I, I saw them... <clears throat> eight years ago, I mean, unfortunately, they're not they're not the same without Benjamin Orr. Then you know, you guys did um, the the soundtrack for or the music for "To Live and Die in L.A." Yeah, by, yeah. by Bill Freakin. Um, so also, between dra- everybody has fun. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. Th- that was uh, interesting movie. Definitely great song. Uh, how did yeah. you How did you meet Bill, who directed The Exorcist? Uh, well, he got in touch with us okay. basically. Yeah, as. Yeah, the story with that is that I was uh, visiting a friend of mine in London who I hadn't seen in a, in a while, actually, and I was around at his place, and his phone rang. In those days, there were no mobile phones right, and stuff. Yeah. It was just like a phone, like a you know, like a bat phone kind of phone, <laughs> you know? and it rang, and he picked it up, and he, was, and he just gave me the phone and said, it's for you, you know, and it's like really weird that, that you know, they got my number, do you know yeah. I mean? And it was this woman calling from Los Angeles, and she said, you know, uh, Mr. William Freakin would like to call you in half an hour, will you be at this number? And I was like, yeah, I can be at this number. So I got this call, you know, sort of this strange apartment, and uh, my friend had to go off and do something. And I talked to um, Billy, as I now know him, Mm -hmm. uh, for about an hour. 
uh, what he was doing, and um, he was saying how much he loved points on the curve, and particularly how much he loved weight, which is one of the tracks on points. saying you know i've been using that you know while i've been looking at the, the rushes from the from the movie and as a temp track as they call it and he said and it just works and I, and I want more music like that you know if you could write if you could take your band into the studio jack and give me an hour of music like that so i just said yeah okay <laughs> that's what we did you know so we went into the studio uh, i hadn't um <clears throat> seen the movie at all i really just had this conversation with him but i got a really clear sense from billy about what he wanted and um i was working what had happened really was that after points on the curve you know we, that dance for days was a big hit uh we toured we sort of finished that project and now it was like okay you've got to write your next album you know? and we started working with the same producer uh, chris hughes uh on a on a follow-up but it just didn't fly really you know and i think partly because i was writing these really pretty arty songs and you know geffen were wanting like a kind of surefire hit <clears throat> and uh so basically uh they yeah pulled the plug on it really do you know what i mean and well i kind of go go away yeah. for six months do some writing come come back with something decent you know yeah. uh which i found really difficult as a as an artist yeah. because an art, you know for me as an artist i'm writing the next thing i'm writing i'm not like writing to a formula you know yeah. they really wanted dance all days part two right which, yeah uh, uh, I, I've never been able to write part two or anything. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like you know, the, uh, each song is just a sort of one-off. You know? 
Um, so, yeah, so I was kind of in the wilderness of it, you know, and then that's when this call from Freaking came through, you know, so I was kind of like this song that I was working on, which was a similar song to Wait, um, you know, I was trying to condense it down to a pop single, you know, yeah. and Billy's, what he wanted was for that to be like a 10 minute, you know, prog track, you know, mm -hmm. which was just what I wanted to do, you know, yeah. so the project, the doing the not just writing songs or but actually doing the, the actual soundtrack to the movie was a real gift you know and uh, nick and i went into a studio a little studio in london and, and just spent a week in there and like i say I, I just had this track i had an idea for a sort of piano piece for a cello piece you know i was bringing i suppose my music college sort of stuff into play and um and just recorded a whole load of stuff and just sent it to him you know? and um he called me up after about a week and uh and said it's brilliant you know just amazing come to la i want to show it show you what it looks like in the movie yeah. and uh so he flew us out to la and um I, I remember being taken down to this um Toreo sound studio which he worked in and uh sitting and you know the opening of the movie which it, at that time it opened with a sort of storm with the tree you know the la uh, sort of cityscape but in this sort of like real dust storm do you know what I mean and uh, and that sort of the way City of the Angels starts which is like a sort of explosion and yeah. then these voices glissando slowly down into place you know it just blew my mind watching that thing it was, still gives me tingles <laughs> thinking about it you know and was one of the best bits of my career yeah. I think sitting next to Billy watching that you know so uh, so yeah we did that and um, and it was really great and when I got back to London uh, one thing in the conversation I'd had with Billy that first conversation he said what I don't want you to do yeah. is write a song called To Live and Die in LA okay. I just want some instrumental music yeah. when I got back to London I was so impressed by the film and it may, had made such a big impact on me that this song just came out you know I couldn't help write To Live and Die in LA and I played it Nick and he loved it we demoed it and sent it to Billy and he said it's brilliant I'm gonna I want to reshoot the beginning of the film so that we can have this whole sequence and which he did and uh, so that that was that you know that project was really one of the the best projects we did because I think sometimes you're in a situation where everything is just working and each little thing you do just works even better to me other times it's not like that yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but for to live night I think that was good
and in many ways that's uh, you know at the time it was considered to be not a flop exactly but you know there was no hit on that record and uh, right. from the record company's point of view it was like guys you know you've got to have a hit single do you know what I mean like MTV hit single we don't want a sprawling track that yeah. musicians like that people find confusing do you right, know yeah. so um so yeah, we had to sort of uh, <clears throat> get back on the writing a hit thing, and that's really where everybody had fun tonight came from. It was like, you know, it was a bit of a last chance saloon in a sense for us. You know, we had to get that right, which which we did. So we had, you know, it meant with Wang Chun, you know, that we had this quite diverse career. Do you know what I mean? Dance for Days is that's one sort of thing. You know, yeah. to live and die in LA is another mm-hmm. sort of thing. Everybody had fun tonight is a very different kind of thing. Yeah. You know? But I've I've always liked that eclecticism. You know. And, uh, and I guess growing up listening to the Beatles, they were, you know, if you think of any Beatles album, you know, but particularly the later ones that I love, you know, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper, you know, yeah. from track to track, they use different genres, you know, so, yeah. you know, Revolver starts with Tax Man, which is a sort of rock song, I guess, you know, and then Eleanor Rigby, which is like a string octet yeah. song, you know, and then I'm Only Sleeping, which is a folk song, in a way, John's thing, George's Indian yeah. track comes after that, you know, so they, they would dip into all these different things, and a Beatles album was a kaleidoscope of styles, you know, and, uh, and Wang Chung albums are similar, actually, do you know what I mean, I, I use genre in that way, I, I sort of feel the identity of the band is the thing that carries it through, and then you just... Yeah dress it up in different clothing or whatever to think, and explore different things and, and that's that's what i've always thought of as a great album yeah, now speaking of that were record companies like kind of disappointed that you, know, you do like the warmer side of cool as the follow-up yeah. and yeah. you want to you know keep things fresh and different but they wanted like you know everyone have fun tonight again exactly yeah, yeah. they wanted everybody have fun tonight again yeah, yeah. like the same yeah <laughs> they were sort of um you know it's a bit like uh, the way, uh, you know, like Spotify is great and everything, and I use it yeah. a lot to listen to, to music. And, but I find that, you know, the, whatever it is that they use to sort of like, so, you know, make the algorithms out of your right. choices and suggest what you want to listen to next, it always shifts into the center. I mean, it never gives you something like, wow, that's completely unpredictable. Yeah, exactly. Great. Do you know what I mean? Whereas my experience of, you know, buying a new Beatles album was, this is, I've never heard anything like this before. It's like amazing. Do you know what I mean? So, and that's how I sort of think of music. You know, I never think of it as like, I like this, so I want more and more of it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I like this and I like it, but I, now I want something different, you know. So record companies, uh, inevitably, you know, they're, they're always going to be like, well, this was a hit, so let's do it again, you know, yeah. uh, but try and do that better and make even more than more great, yeah. Whereas for, uh, for artists, I think that the reverse is the way, you know, the natural way. You know, you, see, you do that one thing and then you kind of want to do the opposite. <laughs> in yeah. a sense, you know. And I think some record companies got that, you know. Um, I think when we first went to L.A., we met uh, Mo Austin and Larry, Lenny Warrenker, who were running Warner Brothers at that time. And Warner Brothers were famous for uh, working with the Eagles, okay. you know, and doing the first Eagles album. Right. And, kind of, and then they did a couple of albums that weren't hits. Uh, and then they did Hotel California, yeah. you know, and, um, yeah. and that was the great sort of vindication of the artist yeah. approach that, you know, they're not always going to be able to come up with stuff, but let them do what they want, you know what yeah. I mean? And if they're great, they're going to come up with amazing stuff. And um, Warner's, you know, were famous for sticking with artists and through their fallow periods. You know? Whereas, um, you know, through the 80s, really, it became much more of a, you know, accountancy job. And, right. um, you know, once you dip below a certain level, then you were, you were out. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, of course, very much what it is these days. Yeah. Now, with the with the follow up to Mosaic, um, and it was a little 
disappointing, you know, I guess critically, uh, that kind of start the whole um, separation of the bands? Yeah, it did really. Because <clears throat> I think Nick and I were sort of, uh, you know, Nick was, uh, I think, far more, you know, entrepreneurial, if you like, mm. <laughs> you know, and he was perfectly happy with everybody at Fun Tonight and, uh, right. you know, saw how we would sort of like be able to build our career, you know, out of that. And I think uh, at the time I, I was kind of like, I didn't want to be like this party band, do you know what I mean? I want to yeah. be a prop band, you know. And I think, you know, I think it was compound, that our situation was compounded not only by Nick and I disagreeing on the direction, but it was, you know, getting a just signed Guns N' Roses, uh, Nirvana were just around the corner. Right. So that the era of the 80s was, was over, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so I think as Wang Chung, we either had to really change, you know, and yeah. get with the program, right. <laughs> or else go away, do you know what I mean, and, yeah. and figure what to do, which is kind of what we did, you know. Yeah. I, so, I don't, yeah. It was a really interesting thing. You know, the eighties was a very specific thing and Wang Chung fitted that really well, you know. But you can't extend that indefinitely, sort of uh, I mean hats off to the bands that did, you know, but you know, so uh, so we kind of split up and did different things, you know. Right. You weren't gonna see a Wang Chung in like flannel shirts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then um we'll go back to the eighties a little bit. Uh one of the most memorable movies in the 80s is Breakfast Club, and you had a memorable song there, Fire in the Twilight, in the uh, hallway scene, you know.
John Hughes, the great John yep. Hughes, directed that. Did you? And music is very important in, in his movies. Um, yeah. Did you meet with him or have any like you know? Experiences we didn't meet him. No, uh, we were just contacted by um, the guys who were doing the music. Uh, the music that was um, Steve Schiff, wasn't it? And uh, God, I can't remember. He'll come back. I can see his face right in front of me. But Billy Idol's producer, Steve Forsey. Okay. Is it? And uh, so, yeah, we worked with them. We, we never met John Hughes. And, um, yeah, doing that track was a was a trip, you know, because it was, like, really... Um, that was real, like, in a studio in L.A. Yeah. Um, I think, actually, they had sent the song. But me being me, I was like, eh, I, I don't like the lyrics. And right. I should do this. And, you know, I was pretty opinionated. Well, I still am, really. But I was very <laughs> opinionated in those days. You know? So I sort of rewrote the song and yeah. they... So kind of like okay, you know, if that's what we want. Yeah. So we so we did that, but it was like uh, you know I know they had a couple of bands. I think probably Simple Minds were down the corridor doing their song. Right. You know, it was like a, a real. So it was that sense of like joining a little factory in a way. Do you know what I mean like churning out these songs? And uh, uh, but it was, that was fun to do. You know, and uh, me quite. Uh, you know, we were used to spending, like I say, months on a track. Do you know what I mean? And this was like you really had to get it done in a few days, and, right. which we did. And so it was, it was a great experience. Well, that's good. Yeah. So yeah. then, um, you guys took you know a break for a while. Um, yeah. You, you worked, you worked on a solo album that never came out, unfortunately, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did that solo. That's right, Martin, Martin Page, Page yeah. and, uh, and we wrote stuff. Yeah, and. Uh, it's, you know, I know now that there were sort of political reasons why it didn't come out, um, and I, I don't know why I'd never just put it online actually. Yeah. Or anything, but maybe I'll do. I'll get around to that at some point. You know? I, I see it as a sort of rounded project, and, and it's got some good stuff on it. You know? And uh, and I think the experience of it not coming out for me as an artist was a really difficult thing. Actually, and there's nothing worse than the kind of uh, the disappointment of the work not seeing the light of day. You know? But that's what it was, you know. <clears throat> and out of that, I guess, came uh, a whole sense of, um, you know, what to do next, you know. And, uh, well, during the 90s, I did a couple of really interesting projects. One was some producing with Chris Hughes. Chris produced the Dance All Days and the okay. Points on the Curve album. Right. And I worked with him on a couple of albums, uh, one by a band called The Definition of Sound. Okay. And that was a really great record um, and involved a lot of sampling and um, sort of more of a hip-hop kind of a thing, which really opened my mind to a yeah. whole different way of thinking about music. And I did another album with Tony Banks out of Genesis. Oh, Genesis yeah. and Tony, I sort of wrote the lyrics for a couple of his songs because he could never be bothered to write the lyrics. And, right. uh, and I sang everything because he doesn't like singing. <laughs> and, um, so that again, for, that, well, that for me was like working with a bit of a childhood hero because I was a bit Genesis, yeah. sort of Peter Gabriel, Genesis fan. Right. I you know, loved all that work that Tony did with those tracks like uh, Watcher of the Skies and Firth yeah. of Fear, whatever it is. Right. And, um, uh, yeah, so it was a real, you know, just a great time working with him. Yeah. So then um, you you guys kind of reformed thanks to NBC's The Hit Me Baby One More Time show. Yes. <laughs> yeah, which which was which was memorable. You guys did a nice version of, of uh, everybody have fun yeah. tonight. But then the real kicker was doing Nelly's, you know, hot in here. Yeah, yeah, which was fabulous. I watched it again the other day. Um, yeah. How did you pick that song to perform? Well, they gave us a list of oh, okay. songs, like ten songs, right? And uh, and hot in here was there. And I remember talking to Chris actually about yeah. it and, and gave him the list. And he was like, "Hot in here is what we should do." And I was like, "You're joking, aren't you? I can't yeah. rap and stuff." And he goes, "No, you, you'll do a great job on that." Yeah. 
so we sort of uh, worked on it and uh, yeah I recorded a track uh, at my house and uh, yeah it was fun to do you know and I, again it's a really good track and, and hell to sing do you know what I mean yeah. it's like people go oh rapping anybody can do that right. try it you yeah. know, it's like it's really difficult. A lot of words to remember and a lot of rhythm to remember. It's a whole different thing, you know. So right. hats off to those guys. Yeah. Now, were you um, like in contact with Neil before that, or did that kind of, Were you in contact with with Neil before that with, program? Yeah. Okay. So, so the idea of getting the band back together was already, you know, in your mind. Yeah. I think once uh, Nick and I got over each other a bit, you know, from yeah. the the pressure of the, the 80s experience. Uh, you know, Nick um, in the 90s was working with a record label uh, as an A&R guy, really. Yeah. And uh, I used to go and see him and, uh, and play me stuff he was working on. I play him stuff I was working right. on. And, uh, I produced a couple of bands for him and, uh, and that, that was really good. You know, so Nick and I really get on as friends. We always have done, do I mean, we just can never agree about you know, songs and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> right. It still goes on and on. Yeah. Oh, so so but, it, was, it wasn't like a uh, a divorce. It was just kind of like, hey, we'll go our separate ways for a little bit. You guys still be in contact. And exactly. Th- that's yeah. good. So then how did um, Jack Hughes and the Quartet, did that idea come about? Well, I guess uh, you know, I was, you know, through the experience of producing, you know, I think as an artist, you know, with the capital A in the 80s, you know, my approach to creating things was was very much like look I know how this goes I know what I want you know you play this you play that yeah. record it like this I mean it was all like you know not I was well, I wasn't good at collaborating you know? uh, as a producer um, it's completely different because you're listening to what the artists are giving you you're listen you need to listen to contemporary music and to sort of get a sense of like okay well this is what how the drums sound on a modern record this is how people are doing it you know and uh, so uh, I became much more sort of uh, open to all kinds of different stuff. And uh, the 90s, I think, was an amazing time for music, especially in the UK, because you had, you know, Portis Head and right. Massive Attack and mm-hmm. Fatboy Slim and yeah. Bjork and, you know, all these artists right. who were doing really interesting stuff. A lot of it, you know, arguably based on music from the past. But, but then so was every era of music is always taken stuff from music from the past so um, so the 90s was a great time for sort of like expanding my horizons and, and one of the things that I got into uh, was Miles Davis and mm. I sort of I remember Peter Wolf when I was working on Everybody a Fun Tonight playing me Nefertiti which is a Miles Davis album and I was kind of like yeah it's good it's really good but you know it didn't hit me somehow do you know what I mean and uh, and I just remember hearing Kind of Blue which I know is the sort of like uh, entry level Miles album, uh, but it just kind of blew my mind just how beautiful it sounded, how it was recorded, and how simple it was from a compositional point of view. And how Miles's technique as a composer really is to give the players just a little kind of fragment to play it and then get out of the way and let them be brilliant. You know I mean? and, uh, and that whole approach to writing and stuff started to appeal to me. I also really got into Thelonious Monk uh, as a composer and the way he approached music in this totally spontaneous kind of quirky kind of way. You know? And um, at, the t- when I, at the time, in the say, you know, around about 2004, something like that, uh, my daughter, Violet was having piano lessons with this okay. guy who was a sort of jazz pianist. Right. And she went off to university. I said to Sam, well, why don't you just come around to the house and we can jam or something, you know, but keep in contact. Yeah. So he did that and we would play monk tunes and a bit of Miles and 
experience things. And I started to just really love doing that. And, and from that, uh, we started playing in public and, and we were useless. I mean, I'm not a jazz <laughs> but, um, but the techniques that were involved, you know, of, um, you know, creating a, a sort of chord sequence or even like a sort of harmonic space to work. In. Um, yeah, it was very inspiring, you know, and then, uh, Chris got interested in what I was doing, Chris Hughes again, mm. and uh, he said, well, come down to Bath, let's make an album, you know, this is all brilliant, what you're doing, you know. So uh, we made two albums with Chris uh, that came out, um, one's called uh, Illuminated and one's called Shattering, and they're both really, I'm really proud of those records, you know? and, uh, and then more recently we've carried the project on, collaborating with some poets, because um, down in Canterbury here where I live, uh, there's a big... Um, well, I'd say a big poetry scene, but there are some really amazing guys who are running some of the creative writing projects and stuff. And um, so we work with them. So we've done a couple of albums recently um, with them. There's an album called um, <clears throat> A Thesis on the Ballad and another one called Road Through. Uh, again, if you go to jackhughesofthequartet.com, you can get links to those pieces. Which I would go swim or ski. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that album in a sec, but yeah. back to Jack Hughes and the Quartet. Are you? Would you guys ever, you know, think about coming to tour in the U.S.? Or I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd love to. Yeah, but, but jazz is. A, I mean, uh, it's a whole universe, isn't it? And there are certain expectations yeah. around it. I think if I could be Jack Hughes and the Quartet and get the Wang Chung audience to come and listen, yeah. to us, I think they might find it really interesting because I kind of feel that as an artist, I always do the same thing. Do you know what I mean? Whatever it's yeah. dressed in. You know? uh, so there are elements of the, the quartet that are identifiably my work. You know? 
Um, but yeah, I, I would love to do that, you know. And I think uh, particularly a thesis on the ballad where I there's songs, you know, it's six yeah. songs that I guess sound a bit like folk music rather than right. jazz and stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's an improvisatory element to them. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I think the white Chung audience would really enjoy that record. Yeah, the the, the song of the truth is is, is very <laughs> yeah stands yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah, then a teaser up, like you said, came out in 2012, and the song. Uh, a duck by the eighties, yep. you know, very, very catchy. You guys play that in concert. Um, we haven't actually, not that particular track because of the narration on it yeah. and stuff, you know, but I'd be very up for playing that. Actually. That again was, you know, I've been really fortunate to work with some totally great, uh, poets, you know, and, uh, yeah, this guy, Rob G, my daughter, Violet saw him performing. He's like a sort of stand up comedian. Okay does poetry as well right. and he did this thing abducted by the 80s and she just sent it to me and said you're going to love this you know, which I did right. and, uh, but at the time I was working on this I was really into Steve Reich and I was trying to write a sort of pop song version thing that used his techniques of you know, right. taking a little fragmentary melody and incrementally changing it um, all that stuff you know. and, uh, and I was working on that and I just put Rob G's poem across the top of it and it all just seemed to me to fit together making right. a few snips in the poetry and stuff and uh, so that, that's where that song developed out about three in the morning minding my own business when bam without warning I was catapulted from scene to scene to the music from the A-team dressed for all the world like a new romantic feeling a twat and starting to look it with some pointy shiny shoes and a Mel Gibson type mullet landing from moment to moment like the bloke from Quantum Leap cocking every one of them up and changing our history to the one you now know I shot JR and got wanked with Solano I wrote a song for Europe to help you make your mind up the book spin with shit 99 Red I around and listen Sonny got pissed and thick with Dan and Andy the end of shit it was all my fault I sold it that Rita Max video recorder I lived all the elections smarter and manager to get revenge on the decades to wreck my adolescence I 
Charles Reagan's latex brain slowly decomposing like the spots of Percy Thrower. I was the hands of Kenny Everett and Diego Maradona. We were abducted by the 80s in music television. alternative modern rock uh actually alternative versions like billy joel's we didn't start the fire yeah yeah, yeah. you know yeah. It's, it's definitely yeah. interesting yeah so then um i got a couple more for you and thank you so much for your time i really appreciate that yeah so like, <clears throat> right before like uh baby uh one more time came out that that show yeah. i know vh1 had a show called uh, bands reunited did they ever uh-huh. like try to uh get you guys together because I, I, I know you weren't on the show but I'm sure they had a bunch of other like ideas for you know shows. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there may have been talk about it, but no, it didn't come together for whatever reason. So yeah. Right. Yeah. And then um, you, you guys touring now is Wang Chang on those '80s tours. Uh, do you enjoy like just going out there playing you know your four or five songs? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> to be honest, I've stopped doing that. You know, okay. uh, Nick Nick is really into it and still does it, and he's going to be doing some more this this summer and stuff. Um, but I find the kind of uh, just it's really the, the traveling and being away from home right. side of just um, kind of doesn't really work for me so well uh, but having said that sometimes gigs show up you know that uh, are interesting and um, are, you know then I'm, I'm up for doing that you know? so I, th- I think especially when we get to play a, a complete set you know yeah. like a 45 minute to an of hour course. set and stuff you know and we can vary the material of it and then that I'm into I'm not so into the kind of karaoke just play the hits and yeah. you know run all do it run off you know and then right. sit in a two of us for you know ten hours traveling yeah. to the next show right. you know. yeah. yeah totally okay and then last question go back to everybody have fun tonight uh, it's been in like pop culture you know different uh, versions of it what's like your favorite I know there's like from The Simpsons there's from Cheers from Two and a Half Men like yeah. what's your like favorite reference uh, Cheers is one of my real favorite ones yeah because I just remember my kids sort of like seeing that you know when it was broadcast yeah and sort of feeling that I go dad your song you know it's right. song Cheers Frazier says it do you know what I mean they were just thrilled you know because he was there you know they loved that show yeah, especially his like you know deadpan delivery of it was 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 really great. Yeah. I was listening to a rock and roll station on my way over here. You know, it put me in the mood. There was a passage in one of those tribal songs that I feel uh, well is the keynote for this evening. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. 
one of my favorite songs by you guys is uh, Space Junk. I okay. I absolutely love the song. And then when I first started watching The Walking Dead, it was in the pilot episode at the end. And it was just yeah. like, oh my God, the song's in it. It's great. Um, yeah. When did you guys find out that they were going to like play the song on the show? Space Junk was a, a sort of one-off song that we just wrote and recorded for our greatest Great hits album that came yeah. out in '97. Right. So it's a pretty obscure Wang yeah. Chung song. I mean, and um, you know, I don't think anybody ever thought it would come to much, hmm. but uh, I think it's a really super cool song. Yeah, it is. And, uh, yeah, and so did Frank So, and apparently hmm. he loved that song and always heard the end of this pilot episode. He just had this sense of the camera panning back, you know, whatever greater sort of vistas, you know, and this song yeah. playing and stuff, which is great. So, uh, yeah, we just heard that it was going to be used in the, in the episode. Um, there, there was no soliciting going on right. on our yeah. part to try and do it. You know, it came to us. So, again, rather like with Freak, you know, we're really fortunate to have these kind of guys who are listening to music and really into music, uh, gravitating to what we're doing and, and wanting to use it. So, you know, that's... Um, very grateful for that. Yeah, and I'm glad it brought you know like the more attention to you know a fabulous song. You know. Yeah, a, a lot of you know younger people you know are into the band because of that, and then they right. check out you know To Live and Die and stuff. Exactly. But the DNA connections sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Jack, thank you for a few minutes today. I really appreciate it, and best of luck. It's a real pleasure. Thank you, Noel. <laughs>
And a special thanks to Jack for joining us today. You can follow Wang Chung on Twitter at Wang Chung Band. Their website is wangchung.com. If you want to follow Jack using the quartet on Twitter, it's at Jack Hughes Quartet. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'd appreciate it. It's at the person 019. Be sure to like the page for Living My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes and check out all the past episodes with some of the great guests we've had. Well, actually, they're all great guests. And you can rate and review the show. I'd really appreciate it. Special thanks to everyone who's listening. I can't do it without you guys. And be on the lookout for another episode of Reliving My Youth real soon. <laughs>